0: Welcome to the Edge of NFT podcast with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. We aim to bring you not only the top 1% of what's going on with NFTs today, but what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, but also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things that we love. This podcast is for the futurists and dreamers, the disruptors and creators the fans and connectors and the makers and doers that are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes
1: next.
2: Today's episode features guests Ewan Johnson and Andy Stack. Ewan is the co-founder and chief product officer of Arcturus Studios, the leading global software leader in the post-production and streaming of volumetric video. He has decades of experience of telling stories with computer animation and has touched many movies we've all seen and love Ewan was one of the first employees in the film group at pixar and built their cinematography department he later spent over a decade at dreamworks architecting their animation data pipeline and tools andy is also a co-founder at arcturus studios he is a serial entrepreneur. With three exits and a focus on creator tools and the creator economy. Before Arcturus, Andy spent six years at YouTube leading the teams that built YouTube analytics and the monetization platform for creators. And he produced collaborations between top YouTube talent and Google's emerging technologies, including the first VR 360 videos. Guys, welcome to Edge of NFT.
1: Glad to be here. it's great to be here
0: yeah welcome so awesome to have you guys and we have to start off though pulling from the the introductions okay for all of our listeners what the heck is volumetric video explain this to us
1: sure sometimes the easiest way to explain it is i tell people it is a three-dimensional photocopy of reality so if you really are looking at the nature of what it is is it is a a performance from a person that has been captured from simultaneous viewpoints, then that is turned into a full three-dimensional model moving through time that can be played back and viewed from any angle.
3: So can we bring Tupac back this way? Is this, is is Tupac (laughs) alive again now?
1: (laughs) So you can construct volumetric video using existing footage to create the, these meshes. And there are teams that specialize in exactly that, creating a three-dimensional representation of a person from existing video. Volumetric video though, actually typically created in this stage, relies on multiple cameras shooting the performance at the same time. And so there's nothing, it is a, a full reproduction of the performance. Whereas when you're recreating a performer like Tupac from previously recorded video that doesn't have viewpoints that are surrounding him, there's massive portions of his performance that don't exist in those recordings. And so the computer is making it up using machine learning or deep fake algorithms. And as a result, it isn't truly his performance. So... Yes, you can, but not as faithfully as when you capture a live performer on a volumetric stage.
2: So pictures have pixels and videos have voxels. What do volumetric videos have?
1: So that depends upon the technology being used to, to capture and reconstruct the performance. But the most common solution is a result that's very similar to the output of photogrammetry. And so you have a set of polygons that describe the surface and a set of textures that describe the visual characteristics of that surface. And those are correlated in time so that you have a, a temporal string of the this. And as a result, it's very akin to like a three-dimensional model that would have been created, say, for an animated film like Toy Story. But... Instead of being manually created by an artist where they're painstakingly trying to recreate the appearance of a person, it is the person. It is all of the nuances of the movement, the the behaviors, even the subtleties of how the muscles move under the skin.
3: So can we creep out kids by having their parents be basically holographic uh, renditions, watching them while they're at work? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, (laughs)
1: um, I was recorded very early on in our life cycle for some sample data, because I'm the easiest person in the world to gain the rights to uh, for our company. (laughs) But the funny thing is that has become one of our core training materials. And so anybody who, who starts to use our software, or learns our software, gets volumetric versions of me. And whenever we meet with the capture companies that are creating the hardware, they constantly are saying like, every time they see their clients, they run into me because they've always got me up on their screen working with them, testing them. So yeah, yeah, digital presence everywhere.
0: Aren't they doing, uh, I saw recently, the folks at Google are doing something as it relates to, to conferences, right? Where they're, they're sitting mm-hmm. in front of a mirror and it looks just like you're sitting in front of the person on the other side of a, of a window or something like that. Yeah. Is it drawing on similar technology?
1: It is. This is Project Starlight that they just announced. Yeah. And they have just started to dive into it. But from what I've seen from their announcements and papers, it is A combination of volumetric capture techniques where they're capturing the three-dimensional asset and the textures and then streaming and distributing that, and also the display system that helps give you that true sense of, of, of presence. What gets really interesting when you've got volumetric performances, this is even beyond Starlight and also dives into a little bit of what we do with our technology, is when you can... Adjust that performance after you've recorded it. And so it can track where the viewer is and then respond to it. And that gets fascinating for any type of console.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm thinking, Andy, you're rocking the hockey jersey here. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about sports and watching sports and having that kind of interaction, having the same view regardless of where you're sitting. And I'm envisioning some kind of a volumetric display that I'm watching these games on. Is that?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you know, sports is an easy sort of vertical to, to imagine uh, a lot more growth with volumetric video. So imagine not being able to go to an NFL game, but instead you're at home and either on your tablet or phone, or even maybe better with a headset. Imagine being able to fly around and choose the point of view wherever you want to be. Um, that's just that's like, crazy. Just like just like, just like uh, you know, Madden or a-, a video game, right? You could be up and behind the quarterback, and because that is now a virtual camera, which has been created by the processing of of the ring of cameras that is around the stadium. So there's some really exciting things that not only can you, as a viewer, be able to uh, watch your your favorite clip from any angle. But there's also great training capabilities. So imagine Patrick Mahomes now can can relive some some particular plays, but this time he can watch, you know, how the defenders were were coming, or he can look, he can he can see that again with a headset on and realize, oh, this guy was open, or this is how it felt when I was getting rushed. Oh, I chose to move around this particular time, but he's in a headset and he can he can choose to do something else. So there's some really exciting things that with volumetric video working that direction and a lot of challenges because it's a yeah. lot of data.
3: I mean, that sounds like a referee's worst nightmare, having 10 million backseat drivers. <laughs>
4: <laughs> although although that's, it's also a great training program for referees, but mm-hmm. yeah, at the same time. Yeah. So um, well,
1: the question that, is,
2: does the referee get that volumetric 3d <laughs> view of the whole scene mm-hmm. of things in order to make their calls or do they just have to rely on their traditional senses to
1: just figure things level, out? Level of this
0: yeah. Replay guys. Wow.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, you know, they do go to the tape sometimes in in 2d now imagine they could actually put on the headset and they could walk around a frozen moment from a particular second where they had made the call and really check like, okay, like, From any angle, can I see, is he out of bounds, is he in bounds? And to really key off of Andy's example, going back to like reviewing your play afterwards for training, it's like, it's not just a matter of thinking about where the defenders are in lining up, but like playing with your position on the field and exploring like, oh, if I just taken two steps to the right, I would have seen that perfect angle and opening to be able to get through.
4: There's a great health and safety angle to this as well that really illustrates the power of volumetric video in that you're creating digital assets by the photoreal capture of what's going on. And so you as a, a player doesn't need sensors in theory on, on them because what gets processed then are you know a series of polygons that are moving around in 3D space and they're colliding with each other. And so you can, you can you can determine the force of impact by, you know, the weight of each player and how fast these, these digital assets are colliding with each other. So you can easily, more easily track how someone's moving around force of impact and, and be able to, to study and learn from more with, without sensors, right? It, it's all distilling what the reality capture down to, to CG assets.
0: It takes sports analytics to a whole other level. I think about NBA and NFL to your point, determining the optimal play, right? That's amazing. I was going to say
2: digital assets colliding with each other. I think that's only to be heard on an NFT podcast.
4: <laughs> exactly.
2: Well, speaking of NFTs,
0: guys, how do you see what you're doing in the realm of volumetric display and, and capture mm-hmm. impacting the world of NFTs?
1: Well, let's stick with the sports out analogy first. I mean, I think that We've already seen NFT's popularity with the NBA Top Shot, where it's capturing moments. Now, what if you're actually able to capture the moment in three dimensions and really see and explore that and, and own that particular play? I think there's another kind of interesting element with with, with volumetric video and with holographic video in relationship to this, Um when it comes to also this concept of streaming media. So what's really unique about our platform is you don't actually have to have the digital assets present on your phone, you don't have to pre-download them. They can be streamed to you, but they're streaming three-dimensional representations. So you can look at them in AR, and move around them and view them. So imagine you are a LeBron James fan. You picked up an NFT of like his favorite smack talk moments, and you're watching the game at home. You see him make a great maneuver, and you, you pull out your phone and you send to your friend your NFTs a LeBron James moment, and it kind of notification pops up on his phone. He clicks on it, and then he's got a little full scale augmented reality LeBron James standing in in his in your living room going. Gotcha. And then he's gone because it was a streamed moment that you own the right to distribute and share with a friend over a short-term temporal instance. And it opens up a whole new world of sports smack talk for sure.
3: So how easy is it to create these and how expensive does it get like, is this, a, is this mainstream? Is this something where, mm-hmm. you know, Disney has to write the check for you guys to, to do your thing?
1: So, great question. What's been really exciting over the past few years has been the, the commoditization of capture technology. There's over 19 companies producing the hardware to capture volumetric video. And so in nearly every major city now, you, there's a capture facility that can go capture them. Prices are still outside the price range uh, of the average person going down to the and uh, um, the local mall to grab a volumetric capture, but that's changing. Um, so it's definitely within the price range of teams and, and and elements and brands, and will be dropping very quickly over the next couple of years.
0: I got to ask, what what file type is created that you're uploading into uh, an NFT platform, yeah. for example?
1: Right. So that's another place where we believe we offer the unique solution. So right now, each of the companies creating volumetric capture studios have developed their own file format specific to their their stage. It's kind of like the era of the digital camera back in the very early days where you got the digital camera and you got a piece of software that could open the images and you couldn't do anything without that software, like there was no Photoshop. That's sort of where volumetric video was before our tours. um And so what we offer, is we offer the ability to work with any of the capture stages, source media, and we provide encoding on top of all of our editing tools into what we'd like to be Become the universal format for volumetric video. It's called OMS, and it stands for Open in Mesh Sequence, and that is our distribution media for for volumetric video. Whether we're delivering it embedded into an application or streamed.
3: So we we have the guys from Superworld on mm-hmm. on the show, and and they work with Solidity, if I'm not mistaken. And there's other platforms we've had on the show or, or will have in the future and, and ones that our listeners are familiar with. Like N- Engine mm-hmm. is an episode coming up. Is this product compatible with these platforms from the jump? Is Are there certain platforms that you're prioritizing in terms of integration? How do, uh, How does this world look if someone wants to collaborate with you guys?
1: Great. Uh, so we have a a player SDK for incorporation into their platform. Uh, If their platform is web-based, then it's a couple lines of JavaScript to add. Then they have the ability to stream volumetric video into uh, web or web AR. We also have plugins for Unity and Unreal if they're based on game engines. And then we have native integrations as well. So long answer for... We have an SDK that can be plugged into their application. We've specifically designed our streaming protocol as a solution that can be integrated into other people's platforms. So we provide the core backend for storing and for distributing for standard content delivery networks, as well as security, but then allow and enable it to be built into other people's platforms? Andy, I think you might have some additional insights.
4: Sure. Well, I think the SuperWorld example is a good one. Uh, they've you know, they done a fantastic job of creating rich location, right? They've kind of created the stage on which the, the acts can transpire of, of experiences and so forth. So you can think of Arcturus as allowing the central, we're like central casting great you've you've set up a wonderful world that allows for some interaction and some transactions now you need the cast and so since since we help enable the processing and delivery of the human performance then it's an it's an amazing way to then bring in you know celebrities or your friend or other you know sports moments into any of these environments
0: as you guys have such intensive um and deep creative backgrounds one of the, the the themes that we hear about time and again in our episodes is community, story, branding, marketing, bringing those things together, and and that being the the epicenter of these projects that are doing so well in the NFT space. I think you mentioned Top Shots uh, out of the gate, you and a great example, right? Where where you don't as a user, you don't even really know that you're operating in the realm of NFTs, right? You're coming in, in, you can use your credit card, you can buy your stuff, you have a marketplace, you have a community, there's Discord, this group. How do you guys view that aspect of your business, community, branding, marketing?
1: Andy, I think you should start with this one. You're such a community person.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, a bit of a history behind Arcturus is that we started as... you. I think you think of us as a young Pixar because we were doing story content creation in in the digital realm and also building some technology tools. So we do come from uh, we all come from um, strong creative backgrounds in different areas. With a but we had a goal of being able to help establish a rich connection between the viewer and digital characters. How can we bridge that? And you know, in story that really impacts and, and affects folks. So, through our journey, we've um, we've we experimented with 360 VR, uh, a variety of content that we've made. In addition to seeing that there was this opportunity with volumetric video, and started to build out this particular angle because we saw that to be that to be the the, the future. As as there's a growing community around. Uh, volumetric video, and it's been steadily growing for really the the you know I think the last three years, both in terms of uh, awareness and and what can be done with that. And what's also I guess interesting is that you can you can actually create crowds or create you know community within virtual worlds by by placing a lot of these individual. You know, time-based performances. So you know, imagine going to you know something like the Wave. Um, Wave has a lot of you know, CG-generated avatars and so forth, right? So rather than trying to have a a uh, performer look <laughs> real because they're coming at it from the CG side to make it look as quite real as possible, but it's still caught in that uncanny valley. Imagine taking you know taking the actual photoreal capture of Bruno Mars and then and then putting them in that environment in which you can draw in a huge community around, you know, that particular performance.
0: Are we all going to have our own digital representation
1: of ourselves? Is that, is that where we're going? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we've, we've already got it with emojis in many ways and everybody's custom avatars. We see it with volumetric performance and, and, the distribution of it, and we see teams like Facebook Reality Labs really focusing on how do you get a human capture that can then be turned into an avatar, because the reality is the nuance of human performance is so subtle and so rich that you really want that connection and interaction. And for us, that's really what drew us to volumetric video. It's an interesting technology. But it's that nature of human performance and interaction that's so crucial to it.
3: A story just dropped today about a new photo app, Paparazzi, that is famous for banning selfies. And I think it goes to a broader point around spicing it up for creators. Mm -hmm. There's only so many selfies and pictures that people can look at of one individual, even if they like them a lot. Right. So what are the conversations you're having with top influencers and what can you offer them when you combine your technology with a concept they might already have in mind in terms of doing an NFT? I'll
4: take a quick first example. What really drove me to seeing utility in, in this for influencers was my experience at YouTube working with a lot of uh, top creators, but also seeing the burnout that that it was causing them because especially at uh, events having to be on all the time. So if there was a way to scale their presence with their fans in a way that that didn't drive them drive them crazy or or you know work them into the ground, then that could be a phenomenal opportunity. So so by being able to capture their performance, you can have fans can have an augmented reality version of uh, and, and take a selfie through through the AR app or, or as a, a short little video that mm-hmm. they could then, maybe the fans themselves could then create, you know, that's my own little unique experience with, you know, with Bruno, with Bruno Mars or, you know, with another influencer. And so therefore, maybe I could have that NFT locked away. Or what if that, that influencer says, all right, here's my volumetric video asset and that's available, you know, only to 100 fans.
3: That sure beats the uh, the wax museum,
1: yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or or maybe you have to visit the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in order to unlock the access to that virtual selfie of Bruno Mars, which can then travel with you and be shared. That starts to get really interesting.
0: Um, All I know is that volumetric Jeff is going to have Ethan's hair. I'll tell you that
1: right now. Adaptability. <laughs> <So, laughs>
2: You know what? What, yeah. what we haven't been led on to yet is that Ewan and Andy have just—they're uh, just transmitting AI, ver- transmitting AI versions of themselves for this podcast interview. Still a great interview, but they're off doing something else.
1: <laughs> I will it. definitely borrow that technology when it exists. Oh,
2: <laughs> well, one thing I want to just bring this idea that I got really mm-hmm. excited about maybe like five or ten minutes ago. So maybe it's a little bit delayed, but you know i own a small corner of washington square park in superworld you know i own a little piece mm-hmm. of the brooklyn bridge in superworld and a little piece of millennium park in chicago i'm thinking about you know capturing say breakdancers that you would see mm-hmm on the streets of New York, you know, and ac- yeah. getting the actual breakdancers and volumetrically mm-hmm. filming a routine that they love to do or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, those guys are always hustling, you know, they got to run around, they go got to go from subway car to subway car to, to do mm-hmm. their gig. What if they could just always be on for anyone in that park, yeah. right? Sure. And you could see what they did and that could be something that's in super world.
1: Exactly. And there's, a, there's actually two components of that that are really interesting to me. One is this finally opens up an avenue for residuals and earned income for performers after the performance. And so I see this whole potential just from the nature of volumetric video through streaming distribution and tied into NFTs for a better or reward system for, for, for performers and artists. The other thing that's really interesting about it, and this... Goes back to my career as, a, as an artist, but also a really interesting video from a few years ago called Everything is a Remix, which is this idea that we are an evolving creator culture that is remixing previous ideas and applying them in new spaces. And if you have a breakdancer's performance that's been captured volumetrically, Now you can take it to new points in the world. You can film it in new locations. You can incorporate other performances, mix in the the filters that have come out of like the love of Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok these days. And you open up a whole new avenue of creativity and collaboration for creating large-scale performances that can be really interesting and dynamic.
3: I don't know why this came to me, but... I can envision Logan or Jake Paul listening to this and wanting to do some sort of volumetric NFT of all his knockouts so far and mm-hmm. then putting them behind different backgrounds like Mount Kilimanjaro or something, right? Like, like in, in, you know, there's one of one for each knockout in each location around the world. I mean, that's possible with what you guys do, right? Absolutely
4: yeah and and a ring if it happens in a ring that's a good contained environment to have a an array of cameras around the side to make sure that you've actually captured all the players from every angle such that you can you can play it back and move it around pinch in pinch out to zoom and and so forth and then absolutely the background could be any background you you choose
2: so question about the nft space and you know what you're seeing you know people you might be collaborating with or just even things that you have collected and seen is interesting. What are your thoughts on what's going on right now that you're excited about? And also sort of the long term, what do you see being around in NFTs five years from now?
1: I think what gets me the most excited really extends into the whole cryptocurrency Ecosystem. And so it's the combination of like the IPFS file system and other similar distributed storage systems combined with the digital rights management and the ownership component of NFTs, making it so that digital copies. And digital representations can actually be guaranteed a lifespan and existence beyond a, a given services timeframe. I think that, yeah, I guess that's the that's the great place to cut it. I think it's the the longevity and possibility for an asset to to live and and be owned and tracked all inter, intertwined.
3: Is there a project you guys have on the horizon or recently did that you would feel comfortable sharing with our audience that you're really excited about?
1: That's a tough one. <laughs> They're either spill not the willing to share, to share, share or not beans. excited. Yeah. <laughs> this one isn't, isn't in the NFT space at the moment, but I'm really excited by its potential and where it's, it's going. And so this is relating to fashion and merchandising. Anae out of Japan just released their spring and fall collection as volumetric video examples as part of their integrated e-commerce site. And what really excites me about this is 3D representations and seeing them live and grow and exist beyond just a 2D representation. And I get excited by it, it within the marketplace, but then I get really excited when I think about like, where could this go as we start owning fashion and seeing this extend and be built into other people's ecosystems. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, we, we definitely we need to connect you with uh, Emma Jane McKinnon Lee from uh, mm-hmm. G- Digital Act. She was a guest. Amazing, amazing person. If you don't know her, we could definitely make a connection. I think you guys would have a lot to talk about. Right. Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff
2: going on with digital fashion and integrating it with games and making mm-hmm. it interoperable. And they're, they're making they're working on making it interoperable so that you can have a piece of fashion that you can use in multiple games or domains so that it can adapt to, you know, that domain and fit right. intriguing stuff.
0: I also think about the, you know, the, the consumer product mafia, Andy, that you got to be familiar mm-hmm. with coming from Wharton, the, the Warby Parkers and the Caspers of the world and the the, the the network that brings things like that really to life and connects with people and tells the story. Like we were talking about earlier, that community and building it around these projects. When you think of the digital equivalent of traditional products, it's just a, a natural entry into the the realm of NFTs and what you're doing.
4: Yeah, and and what I what really excites me the most about the N- NFTs in the future is what you and touched on earlier, and that is the the ability for follow on you know revenue streams that are already locked in there that can be that can be trickled back to the uh, the original creator. So my personal goal is to help. People's creative dreams come true, and I've been focused on working with artists and creators on how they can make a living doing what they love. And while I was at YouTube and we and built the the scalable platform that did monetization that paid everybody, there were it was so complex to be able to calculate all the rights for every song and and video owner based on country you happen to be viewing the video in. And those things have to be determined instantly if we're to serve an ad that then the creator can get some revenue from. And if, especially within music, if one of those little, if if a composition is owned by six people and we can only identify five, then you may not be able to monetize monetize it at all. So imagine being able to, Create something now, creators can create new digital assets or, or or things that can be NFTs. The ownership structure is baked into that. And then and then it can just go about its its merry way. That's a great way for the future of of ownerships and 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 asset transfer.
1: Along that lines, there's also the question of digital persona management, right? And is this really a picture of of Jeff or is this a deep fake of Jeff? And, you know, imagine if every year or six months you go in, you get a new volumetric capture of yourself in various outfits, various mediums, and that's stored out there in the blockchain somewhere and can be then used to track and verify when you appear in a picture or selfie with someone was, was this really Jeff? And, or was it just a deep fake?
4: And what's right. unique about volumetric video, on top of that, is that it's temporal. It's not just oh, is it your image likeness, but how how you actually move and behave. Like oh, well that's you know that's a classic Josh dance move, right? So how do you how do you tell if Josh has just been reanimated or that's actually you know that's actually him? If you that can could reanimate
0: be... Josh's dance moves, man, that would be an accomplishment.
3: That's a that's a million dollar NFT right there.
0: <laughs> Guys, this is amazing stuff. Yeah, cannot wait to see where it goes next. But we'd like to learn a little bit more about your personal influences and if your you're dance ready moves. moves. We're gonna love <laughs> to get into some edge quick hitters and learn a little more. Basically, it's just a fun quick way to get to know you a little better. Ten questions. We're looking for some short, single word or few word responses. But if you feel the desire to expand band, then get after it. You guys ready to dive in?
4: Sure. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Right, rock and roll then. All right, Andy, let's start with you. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life?
4: I actually know exactly what that was. It was a can of root beer and a bag of Jolly Ranchers when I was, I think, in first grade or second grade, because I walked a mile to the store, I was so proud I bought it, came back, and my mom was furious at me for having gone there without, <laughs> without having told her.
2: The next question is, when was your first cavity?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. 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 <laughs> and how about you? Uh, does bartering count? Sure. I was eight. I was in the Canaries, and I was wandering around among the big tuna fishing fleets, and I traded some deck work for a 30-pound tuna. And then I dragged that tuna back a mile along the dock to where my father's boat was.
0: He was real proud of you for that one. That sounds like a good trade.
1: There was still about half the tuna left, and it was mighty good. <laughs> it, very it good. Sounds like
2: a scene from a movie,
1: and right, I would right. watch that
2: in volumetric video. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a, a, lot of my, a lot of my history could be movies. Amazing. That's a tougher podcast. Question
0: number two, uh, Ewan, we'll start with you. What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life?
1: In high school, I had bought a motorcycle in order to, to get around and get to work, and I sold that to buy a computer to then get me into art school, which led me to here.
4: Wow. Oh. Andy, how about you? I, garage sales were fun when I was young, so I would imagine, I think it was a toy truck that came with oh. a toy boat. I loved the boat, and I decoupled and sold the truck.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Guys, uh, number three, Andy, what is the most recent thing you've purchased?
4: It was a electric bass guitar for my son, actually. Uh, oh. So that's, that's, I can't wait to see that. I can't wait to see it right
0: Oh, amazing. He'll be surprised, I'm sure. Ewan?
1: Incredibly pragmatic. A replacement microwave
0: <laughs> for one that was failing.
1: Guys, yeah, got to look at yeah, the air fryer
0: too. Guys, number, uh, number four. Ewan, we'll start with you. What is the most recent thing
1: you sold? Uh, the most recent thing I've sold is a couch. As I'm helping get situated in Seattle, it's a, a lot of kind of adjustments.
0: Craigslist? Um, how'd you, do, how'd uh, you go about it? Craigslist, yep. Uh, there it is. How about you, Andy?
4: I think it's Dogecoin. Am I allowed to say that? Of course. <laughs> this, is not, <laughs> this is not financial. It on when. Right. <laughs> no it's not it's it was all the the bouncing around was too distracting for me so i i I just needed to get out of that game oh
0: yeah oh yeah (laughs) uh all right eddie what is the what's your most prized possession
4: that would be i think the first drum set i got when i was 12 so it was a 1972 rogers kit um that my parents bought for me and i actually
1: still have it around
0: that's awesome you and how about you
1: really it's my friends and family (laughs) It's not a physical bit. It's the the acquaintances I have.
0: Right on. You and if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service that's currently for sale, what would it be? I just want to travel again.
1: I want to buy a (laughs) ticket to at least three other countries and visit other people.
2: Come to Puerto Rico with Josh and me in uh, July. (laughs) That would be a
0: trip.
4: We'd love that. How about you, Andy? I'm not sure. I don't think it's still for sale, but I would have loved to have bought Frank Zappa's house in Laurel Canyon. (laughs) I think that was, it was up for sale recently and just uh, thinking about the, you know, creativity and what was, you know, what's been done there over the years. Mm -hmm.
0: Tapping right into provenance and, you know, some of the cool things about NFTs again, right? Who owned it before you?
4: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So uh number uh, 7. Uh, Andy, if you could pass on one personality trait of yours to the next generation, what would it be?
4: I would say curiosity. Stay curious. Right? I try to tell my kids.
1: You and how about you? My intuition. It's always served me well. I've always a discovered new and exciting places and worked with amazing people because of it. I would love other people to be able to share in that. Trust your gut. Yeah. So,
0: you and if you could eliminate one personality trait of yours from the next generation, what would it be?
1: Ah, I have so many of my personality traits I would eliminate. Maybe my my tendency to overwork. I really dig into things and I don't let them go, which is also a strength. But
0: yeah, double edged sword.
1: Andy, how about you? Probably, I, I don't know, my
4: perseveration to you know not ruminate and in, in, think about things too much, just, you know, decided to move on right on.
3: We could have uh, asked you guys each this question, ask or about each other, but that's a different sort of meaning.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I would trust Ewan's gut on things. That's my, that's my North star.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great teamwork. Uh, Andy, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast?
4: The reason I was a few minutes late, I was trying to reschedule a doctor appointment for my daughter. So, um, on hold for quite a bit and was not successful
0: oh, that can be the worst
1: you <laughs> uh, and how about you i was grooming my to-do list because that's what i do every day around 3 is like review what i gotta do and make sure that i'm focusing on what's important
2: all right On well, do you just write it in paper do you keep it in a spreadsheet what's your uh
1: I use a combination of, of Jira, Streak, Monday, and Evernote.
0: <laughs> All right, we'll stop there. Yeah. <laughs> Constant rotation. You and number 10, last one. Uh, what are you going to do next after the podcast?
1: I'm going to cook dinner. Uh, I haven't decided what yet.
0: But Not in a microwave. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, Andy, how about you?
4: Um, I'm actually getting on a call with one of my uh creative collaborator friends to hear the update on his music video that they're trying to launch as either one or many nfts so this was i was hoping to chat about this before this segment to see what i could say or not Um, but i'm i'm absolutely curious and uh i love the music space i'm a musician myself so i'm very interested to see what you know what can happen musically and on the nft side
0: yeah fun space for sure for nfts But we'll keep us posted on that combo
4: yeah we uh, will if it's if it's pretty awesome it might be a, a good follow-on uh guest or story
0: yeah that's great well guys that's edge of uh, nft quick hitters thanks for uh, for doing it with us uh, i think we have uh, some hot topics to to dive into i don't know ethan what do you think
2: sounds like it's good to get into hot topics if you did want to share anything more about that uh that project uh that you're going to talk about feel free. Mm-hmm. First thing on the list here is uh DogeCat, John Legend and others join Quincy Jones NFT platform one of to support energy efficient NFTs on Tezos. Lots of interesting stuff going on
0: there. Quincy Jones, killing it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I w- wouldn't have necessarily um, it Said I expected from Quincy Jones, but I mean, pretty much musicians though are leading the way in so many ways with NFTs, and, uh, and I'm not surprised. And you know, this common thread around sustainability is is really important, and in particular, it's bubbled up through the the community of musicians. And so, uh, not surprising, I guess they're doing it on Tezos, and you know, you're hearing this a lot. Wax Tezos, a lot of these platforms that are are way more efficient than Ethereum, for example. Um, they're making it happen. It's very cool to see.
3: Yeah, I mean. Tezos is saying that their protocol mints NFTs using 2 million times less energy. I'm not sure how they calculated that, but it's pretty impressive if that's the case. What do you guys think about sort of the energy side of things and how that applies to your technology?
1: It's an interesting question, All right, Because one, there's definitely a desire to make sure that we're being really safe and careful with our energy use globally. Um, and then there's also the understanding that these platforms exist and they're minting and, and creating thing, tokens, whether or not uh, a particular person contributes to that particular platform. I definitely love to see the the cryptocurrency impact on the environment go down. So I'm definitely going to check out this. House.
4: Yeah, that's uh, and uh, and I actually know that Quincy Jones does do some angel mm-hmm. investing in the music tech space so this is mm-hmm. this is exciting for him to uh for for him to move on something like this this is great
2: what a life that guy has i mean all the things that he's been involved in and talk about intuition mm-hmm. you and i mean geez what yeah. an intuition he has uh, it's incredible all right let's move on on the list of our kind of headlines here cnbc article mark Keynes, remembering and honoring a cnbc icon with an NFT auction 10 years to the day since our cherished colleague, Mark Keynes, passed away. CNBC is honoring him by auctioning an NFT of his historic market call at the depths of the Great Recession.
3: Sounds like they should have used Octoris to uh, pull that off. Yeah,
1: it would have been been great to have volumetric video of him.
0: There's really something to, I think, nostalgia and uh, these moments in history. And we haven't Mm -hmm. seen a lot of that yet, with nfts and it's surprising to me because we've seen so much around collectibles but the thing that's driven collectibles for for decades is is more nostalgia and kind of classic things that people love versus that the new creations that have led mm-hmm. the way in this nft phase and i feel like there's another phase here coming of yeah. all these classic moments whether it's a sports moment or you know a moment in a the news like this or any like mean, this goes on forever right mm-hmm. like movies and and podcasts right moments from podcasts or gosh yeah. You, endless yeah
2: yes yeah, it's, it's interesting here they're doing this through mintable and they're also doing it to raise money and this is a recurring theme that we've seen and maybe an easy way to take on a realm that's uncertain right you just create a win-win and no matter what happens to nfts we can always raise some money out of this and then mm-hmm. there also could be some big upside on things so that's an interesting aspect of what they're doing okay so next article on the list here uh five andy warhol nfts are heading to auction art experts questioned their authenticity that's a very appropriate thing to Mm -hmm. talk about with nfts (laughs)
0: like these guys so i guess the andy warhol foundation they they have his old computers from you know back in the day and they they had a floppy disk with some images on it right and so most folks i guess would would expect you to present the images as they were found but mm-hmm. i think in this case they you know they elevated the uh, the quality of the images a bit to make it a little bit more palatable for an nft style auction and so there's this question around manipulating the source content and and at what point is that inauthentic so right. i think that's the that's the the message here i don't know i don't know the answer to that yeah. yeah, I mean, this is,
2: this is perfect for what's going on because if they are going to make an NFT a- about it, if they are going to make an NFT around this, this is the time to mm-hmm. work out all the details and certify the authenticity and, and figure out what is actually going on because past this point, uh, there won't be much of that that needs to be done to verify the authenticity of what's here. Right.
1: It's, to me, it's incredibly interesting that this happens to come up with Warhol. That's all about copying images and and recreating them. I'm not 100% sure that he would dispute the authenticity of these recreations, even though they're not pixel accurate. And ironically, this is a case that's existed well before NFTs. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but like with traditional etching, it's not uncommon for an artist who's making prints to after he's done with his run of prints, to sell those plates to a vendor have them make secondary prints from them and then still have those appear on the market as Pablo Picasso originals for example and they're even signed but he didn't do the printing it's not his first run um and yet it's still his work and arguably it's different so you know if i'm going to come down just on the face of like is this a warhol original I would say, yes, it is. Um, the question of did the manipulation change the aspect of what the work is, is an important question. Um, and to that, you'd have to visually kind of compare the two. And then honestly, it's going to be subjective. Um, but I do love that now his work can exist in a, in a robust fashion and be, be owned by somebody um, and be a little bit future proof too. Maybe questioning the authenticity is part of the experience. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Or maybe, (laughs) you know, right. Well, with him, sure. And maybe what we're, what we're doing is moving into a a realm where there's a spectrum of authenticity, right? Mm -hmm. It's not binary anymore.
1: Yeah. But which you can now track with a ledger. So you can understand, was this pixel for pixel? Was this manipulated and authenticated as manipulated? Would they have been happier if this was an NFT of a picture of the floppy disk?
0: That the image was on right maybe probably not
1: mm-hmm.
2: maybe a volumetric recreation of the floppy disk. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> all right uh, next story on the list uh, from the observer uh the world's largest nft museum could soon reshape the new york city skyline i'm sure a lot of stuff is going to be going on in new york in the coming years with regards to nft and we just saw a you know the guy with the first piece of art that he put in superworld right uh, in times mm. square and, and in a previous episode um but yeah so there's a lot to be said about not just making these largest large museums but putting them in these large cities and and how much uh, i guess one one question i have is now that we can create ar vr experiences that are attached to geolocations how important does that make these urban centers, you know, and is there a way to make third party location? Like, could you make, you could make just like they've done with burning man, you could Mm -hmm. make an area in the desert, some type of place to go because Mm -hmm. there are, you know, NFTs or virtual art that's being displayed there that you can only participate in if you go to the location.
1: Mm I mean, I think this whole nature of traveling for art and art installation and then what can you take away from it is, is an interesting kind of extension to this ecosystem. So one of the things I've always wanted to do is like a, a tour of San Francisco for the famous movie sites. And imagine you could go down to Fort Point and pull out your AR or device and see um, the, the, that important scene from Vertigo. Uh, down there, but then you could take away that performance with you and you could share it with others. Um, So I think to, to abridge my answer, Ethan, I think travel to locations for these augmented digital enhancements is a really interesting part of social tourism. And then it becomes really interesting when you think about how do you extend beyond that what do you take away from that visit to the site that you can then share and motivate other people to travel and explore or remix and extend?
4: Yeah, exactly. I, I think I think Scott Page kind of nailed it in one of your earlier podcasts because it's about mm. the experience, right? You could have an experience that is just all uh, digital in a headset, and that could be awesome. Or you could travel with alone or with groups to a location and have some sort of, you know, digital related or, or media related experience. But the overall capturing that overall experience and focusing on that, that experience is, is ultimately the, uh, the important thing.
0: The future is so interesting. I I can't wait Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be able to tap my elbow and all of a sudden have the augmented world around me and all this cool stuff. Like I cannot wait for that to happen.
3: I think one one technology area that's complementary to what we just discussed is proof of existence in place and time. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine, to your point, you (laughs) and someone going to a museum and identifying themselves of having been there, and that opens up access to that experience in the future, Mm -hmm. virtually, or taking something with them. So I, I think perceived value around these locations and social tourism can be modulated in such a way to retain the value of the in-person experience Mm -hmm. and still acknowledge and give value to people that have had that experience, similar to keeping your markings from um, going to a ski resort, keeping your ski resort tag on your jacket when you leave that ski resort.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. I'll move on to the next headline. This one seems fascinating. Alien autopsy NFT drop authenticated by the CIA. Reserve $1 million on Rarible.
0: What? (laughs) All right. So I got to say about this thing. The thing that caught my eye about this one was that they're saying that the CIA authenticated this picture of an alien autopsy, which I, I don't think, I don't believe they had heard of this. <laughs> they've just a, seen,
2: I heard, I heard that they, uh, <laughs> that they've admitted that UFOs exist and, 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 and gave them a new name like UAPs or something like that. But yeah, I'm unfamiliar with this. Uh, maybe the alien invasion is coming this yeah. year as well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, supposedly there's a whole bunch of, of declassified information during the last set of of documents that Trump signed into order. This is what I've been told, which is why all of this is coming up. Now, I haven't done the research on this myself, but it it is curious. I mean, I'm also surprised that this was captured during an Elvis Presley project. Right. Um, that's a whole another kind of question of how these two are intertwined i think it needs more information before i actually like dive into it and figure out what it means for us
2: this reminds me of the uh i think they show it on the history channel there's something called it's like a mermaids documentary have you guys seen this no. so they they went to the trouble of creating a whole documentary about like discovering mermaids these like fishermen and stuff but it's they know, like the people, the makers admit that it's not a real documentary, but they make it mm-hmm. seem like a documentary to the degree that people watching it are actually going to believe that that there's mermaids and that they discovered them and that there's proof because they watched it. It's uh, wow. it's there's a whole genre. I forget what it's called. It's not mockumentary because that's taken, but it's mm-hmm. like it's like uh, whatever. A la- la- last headline here, uh, <laughs> and then we'll wrap up after that. Blockchain startup. Proppy plans first ever auction of a real apartment as a collectible NFT.
0: That's basically right, right. Yeah. We've seen like so much stuff happening in real estate, people trying to sell virtual real estate or take uh regular real estate and, and include NFTs with it. We saw uh, some renderings of, uh, of a place in LA being sold along with the, the property itself. In this case, I think they're, they're starting to go down the path that I think we see things potentially evolving with real estate and NFTs. So buying the NFT, kind of unlocks the the actual access to the home. So the the, the deed to the home, the title search that happens, like they have a whole slew of things that are are going along with this, that actually they believe enables a person to buy the NFT and then actually purchase the physical home as well. And all the bells and whistles that come along with it are NFTs. Mm -hmm. Step in the right direction, I think, if we're thinking about the functional use cases for NFTs, but uh, um, maybe a little ways to go still.
2: Yeah, it said it okay. in- includes access to the ownership transfer paperwork, a digital artwork NFT by a popular Kiev graffiti artist. Yeah, interesting stuff. But what people are packaging together with... It seems like this is one of the themes of NFTs in real estate is packaging things together.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it definitely seems to speak to the to the flexibility of, of an NFT. And I, I also think it starts to become really interesting from that, this concept of some people value physical ownership. Some people have value digital ownership. Um and so uh, the fact that we've got a platform that can represent physical property all the way to a, a digital element that doesn't exist anywhere else but in the computer is fascinating to me. It
2: says the apartment in question is owned by Michael Errington, the founder of this very news site which is TechCrunch.
4: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, I find that. I mean, from this, this is another great experiment in in the NFT space to see what what happens. But it's clearly very newsworthy by, you know, created by <laughs> the person who right. uh, certainly <laughs> knows about that. I mean, he actually had a. I, I believe he had a house in in Menlo Park that became. He just turned his house into. The uh, uh, the office of of TechCrunch in the early days, so it was a community. It turned into a community based um, uh, location because I I remember having to go there for an interview um, way back then. So it'd be curious to see what happens to this uh, apartment if it embodies community after its purchase.
0: I don't know, but I'm buying, uh, I'm buying every, every piece of real estate I own. I'm, I'm definitely buying mm. that, that plot in Superworld, also. And I'm going <laughs> to put like really addictive things like a slot machine in the corner, just in case I ever sell it or whatever, <laughs> you know, so I can have recurring revenue into the future. That's my, nice. that's my master plan. Awesome. Thanks. Well, that's, that's what we had on the
2: agenda for hot topics. Um, the only other hot topic is, is Andy's, uh, friend he's going to talk to after this interview, but, uh, we'll
4: be standing by (laughs) leave you on the hook for something here (laughs) nice we're
3: we're actually yeah we're barbara walters in a former life we use her tactics to get you to spill the beans
0: (laughs) (laughs) well guys look it's it's been great having you on amazing work that you're doing we just really can't wait to see uh where you go next with it where can our uh, listeners go to learn more about you and, and the projects you're working on
1: uh, the best place is to go to Arcturus.studio that has both our, our software, but it also has our blog that has updates and the projects that we're involved with. Of course, Arcturus XR on Twitter. We push anything out that we're up to there, as well as Arcturus XR on Facebook.
0: Amazing. Perfect. All right, guys. Well, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey also much better. Hal, go to iTunes right now, rate us, say something cool, and then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Thanks again, crew. Really appreciate it.
1: Our pleasure. Thanks. It was fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys.